two, one. Good morning. Oh, come on. You can do better, better than that. Good morning. How many of you love Jesus? Is that it? How many of you today, you want to celebrate the goodness of God in your life? You want to celebrate His grace, His peace, His understanding, His forgiveness, His first, second, third, fourth, fifth chances? You want to celebrate His encouragement? You want to celebrate His refuge, His restoration? Come on, if God has been good to you, I want you to stand up on your feet and celebrate Him by putting together these instruments of worship because He is good. He is worthy of all of our praise. Today, God wants to meet you in this place. You may have come to this place confused and full of questions, but you'll leave full of answers. <laughs> I have to say this, remain standing for a moment. Some of you have very specific reasons to celebrate the goodness of the Lord in your life. All of you have reason, but some of you more specifically over the last several days, weeks, maybe the last few months, months you've been praying about a certain situation and God has showed up in your life and he's done so much more exponentially great than you could have ever imagined. The Bible says that he will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you think, ask, or imagine. Some of you have been imagining big things, but God did something greater. 
Some of you have gathered in this place this morning. Is this okay before we go into the God's Word today? Can we just hang out right here for a minute? Because I sense the Spirit of the Lord here. Some of you, you have come to this place this morning and your marriage is on the verge of failure. Maybe you came alone today. Your spouse didn't even come. And you wish that your spouse would have come if he would just or she would just give it one more opportunity. Maybe just come to church. Maybe something would change. Guess what? Can I tell you something? God is not surprised that you are here today. This is by divine appointment. Whether your spouse is with you or not, God's going to do a work in you. Sometimes we want God to do a work in us, but first he has to do a work in you. Do you get that? You want God to do something in the other person, but God wants to do something in you first. And when he does something in you, what he does in you, he will do through you to someone else. Good Lord, this is good, man. I just feel the Lord here today. Don't leave this place today without having connected intimately with the God who cares about you. So much so that he gave the very best he had so that you would connect with him. Today, God has something special for you. Do you love him? Do you love him? <laughs> Come on, do you really love him? Put your hands together and let him know. seated for a moment let me just say a couple of things before we jump into God's word it's warm in here um, the one day I would wear a suit um, the one day I would dress up um, you know and not wear jeans it is so hot in here we had a lightning strike that actually kind of devastated our AC situation so um, we're working on about 25% AC in here. And um, so, listen, we're all going to be hot together, right? All right. Um, num- number two, let me say this. You're, you're awesome. You're awesome givers. Last week, we celebrated the give. Everybody say the give. Yes. Man, you gave incredibly. We have a $40,000 um, goal that we had internally. We really didn't share that with you. We probably should have. Um, and, and forgive me for not, but we had that goal. Last week we received a little over 20000 Then we received like $11,000 in pledges, and, and which takes us to about, you know, thirty-two or thirty-three. And, and I truly believe that we're $8,000 or $8,000 short of our goal, but God is going to meet that goal. And maybe through some, someone right here today, God's going to do something incredible through you. I just want to celebrate your willingness to be a sacrificial giver. Come on, just give the Lord. With that being said, I want you to take your Bibles out with me and turn to two locations. Psalms chapter 119 verse 138. And also to Hebrews chapter 4 verses 1 through 12. Welcome. Woo, yeah. Woo-hoo. For the few who are turning there. Hey, listen. I love God's Word. Every series that we do is pointed towards Jesus and towards His Word in hopes that you'll get into His Word and Welcome to week number two of Mythbusters. 
It's a cool series. It's a different series. It's packaged differently than we've ever packaged a series. It's displayed and presented to you differently. It's just a different series. And let me just go ahead and throw this out there. Today's not neatly packaged. Um, it's not homiletically, hermeneutically, theologically put together in the neatest of fashion. If I were to present this message at, and I said this last week, but I'm going to use it again today, at the cemetery level, seminary, I should say. That's when you go to seminary, everything kind of just dries up, you know. Um, but if I were to present it there, I probably would not receive high remarks. But I think if you'll just hang out with me in the very end, you'll see how it all comes together. And it's really cool how God's Word does that. We're going to answer a lot of questions and journey through a lot of different things today. And I think through the process, you'll see some of it's disconnected, but in the end, it will just kind of all come together. And if you don't like it, lump it. Just kidding. If you don't like it, it's your fault. Um, because you're determining the direction of the series, and I'll explain that in a few minutes. Um, how many of you have seen the show Mythbusters? This cool show about these scientists who take these questions, these, these myths, and they try to determine whether the myth or the question is, is fact or fiction based upon the filter of science. We're doing a similar thing here today. We're taking the questions that you may have in your faith journey, the questions that you may have in your life, and we're using the filter of God's Word to answer those questions so that you'll know what God's Word says about the very things that maybe you question or you struggle with or the things that you're going through in life. And In fact, the foundational scripture for this verse, I love this, is in Isaiah. Don't turn there. It'll be on your screens. It's Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. Yeah, the prophet Isaiah, he wrote this after having this vision from God. It's so cool, and, and it's, at the same time, it's so comforting, but it also leaves us with some questions. This is the door, if you will, that opened the context of this series. It says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, this is God talking, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, verse 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. How many of you are grateful and thankful that his ways are higher than your ways? Listen, because I mess things up and God fixes things. I don't understand things and because I don't understand things, I have questions. And because I have questions, sometimes I get off track. But God has a way to make things right. God can make a way when there seems to be no way. God knows the next step that I need in my life when I don't understand it. And when I trust and lean upon Him, He'll make my path straight. Do you hear me? His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. I am so thankful that God doesn't think the way I think. I'm so thankful for that. However, when we see that God doesn't think the way that we think, it leaves us with questions. And questions are okay. In fact, we're going to answer some questions. Questions that you have over the course of the next few weeks. In fact, the last week of this series, week number four, we're just going to do a question and answer session service, which is going to be really cool. But we're going to answer some really deep questions and some really fun questions. In fact, you have an opportunity in your worship guide. Open it up really quick. In your worship guide, you have one of these cards. It says Mythbusters at the top. Last week, you filled out this card, and many of you, I think we received over 100 and some questions. Questions that you have, some are serious, some are light, some are just really 
cool things that maybe we haven't ever thought of, you've got an opportunity to help decide the direction of this series. In fact, we're going to take your questions and answer them through my blog, which you can see is I am Mark Knight. It's in the middle of that page right there. We're going to answer them through my Twitter account. Our staff here, some of the pastors, will answer them all throughout the week. You need to tune in for that. Um, Really cool. But today at the end of service, if you'll drop this in the offering plate, it will enable you to be a part of this series. Therefore, if you don't like it, it's your fault. Well, please, please help us with that. Listen, we received a bunch of questions this past week that I think are really cool. I want to share with you some of those questions. Can I do that? One of the questions that we received was, how do I know, and this is a good one, what God's will is for my life? I think specifically this person is probably asking, you know, like, which job should I take? This job or that job? Or should I make this move or that move? And and I preached a series on this not too long ago that, that said, you know, something along these lines. We're so concerned with the what. What is next? What is God doing? That we lose focus of the how. God is not as concerned with the what in your life as he is with how you're living with where you are right now. You see, how you're living now dictates God's will in your life. Don't expect God's will for your life to open up if you're living in an area right now in sin or some other area that you don't need to be living in. God is concerned with the how. You listen, he's not really concerned with which job you take. He's concerned with how you're going to bring him glory in that job. Do you got me? So it's not really what, it's how. That's a brief answer to that. Here's a a cool question. Will animals be in heaven? (laughs) More specifically, this person asked, will my pet be there? I don't know. I take that back. I, I, I believe animals will be in heaven. However, I'm not sure that your pet, Fido, will be there. I do know this. Cats will never make it. Listen, they're going to have this, you know, fiery death. Just kidding. For all of you cat lovers, I'm just kidding. Um, hey, here, here's a <laughs> crazy, I know. Here's a cool question. Is it a sin to date? Now, what kind of question is that? Is it a sin to date? I think we need to determine the definition of date. Listen, if... You are asking, is it a sin to date someone with benefits? You know what I'm saying? Then yes, it's probably a sin. Now, ladies, if you are asking this question, is it a sin to date? And, and you know, you, that's a genuine question for you. How do you think you're going to find a husband if you don't date? (Laughter) Listen, it's not like the State Farm commercial where where the dude says, uh, can I get a hot tub? And the hot tub just, you know, shows up. Not going to happen. Not saying God can't do it, but I doubt he will. Hey, here's a cool question. Who's going to win the NBA Finals? (laughs) I'm preaching, not you. Um, Being a pastor has its benefits. It says at the bottom, God's team. Go Heat. Um, And if it doesn't happen, don't blame me. All right. 
Anyway, here's another. If I am dating, there was a lot of dating questions. Uh, I am dating someone who does not have my beliefs. What should I do? Run. Listen, the Bible says do not be unequally yoked. Okay? There is no such thing as evangelistic dating. If you think that you're going to date that person and change that person, I hate to break it to you, but it's easier to pull someone down than it is to lift someone up. Just giving you the principles of God's Word. Hey, here's one, and this is a cool one, but it also has this cute little caveat. It says, how do I know when God is talking to me? And it's not just me answering. <laughs> how many of you know sometimes you can just begin to pray, and you're like, God, you know, can you do this, and can you do What should I do about this? And, and you've kind of already made up your mind, and all of a sudden you stop, and then you just kind of talk to yourself in your mind, you know. And you get up, and you're like, okay, thank you, God, I've got the answer. Don't act like you don't do it. Listen, can I tell you something? You will recognize the voice of God when you walk with God. You will recognize the voice of God the more that you're in His Word. You cannot recognize His voice without being in His Word. The more you're in His Word, the more you recognize, see, and hear His voice. Just thought I'd throw that out. So many questions. In fact, many of the questions that we received this week had really three or four different themes. I went through those questions and saw that even though they had three or four different themes, there was this one predominant thing that kind of happened in in probably 80% of the questions. And it was like, what does the Bible say about? Or why does the Bible say this? Or, you know, what should we do when the Bible says this? And so I came to the conclusion that the question that you're really asking is, can I trust the Bible? Is the Bible relevant today? Is the Bible factual I want to answer that question with two passages of scripture and we're going to have some fun doing it the first passage I want to read to you and just remain seated is Psalms chapter 119 verse 138 let me give you a piece of trivia about the book of Psalms the book of Psalms is the longest book in the Bible Psalms 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible And every single verse, and you ought to read this on your own time, but every single verse in the book of Psalms says something about the characteristics of the Word of God. Every single verse has something to do with the Word of God. I mean, it points to some true truth with the Word of God. Like, look at verse 120. I know this is not in your notes, but this is a freebie. It says, My flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your laws. Laws is the word of God. Look down at verse 130. It says, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. It's the word of God. Is the word of God trustworthy? Can I trust the word of God? That's the question. Look at verse 138. Verse 138 says this. The statutes. Now, the statutes is synonymous with the word of God. So here's what I want you to do. Everyone in here say, word of God. Again, again, hang on a second, that's not everybody, that's just like, you know, 20 of them. Everybody really loud, say the word of God. One, two, three. We're talking about the word of God. Can we trust it? It says, the statutes that you have laid down are righteous. That word righteous means we discover God's ways. In other words, we discover the ways of God through the word of God. That tells me that if you need to make effective, godly choices, 
If you need to know how to do your relationships, if you need to know how to do your finances, right here it is. It's God's Word. His ways are in His Word. But look at the next part. It says, the statutes you have laid down are righteous. And then it says, they are fully what? Hold on a second. They are fully what? Can I be honest with you? And this may come as a shock. There are many people who do not believe that verse. There are many Christ followers who do not believe that verse because they have placed their trust in everything else but God. Could it be that that is the reason why we have the moral decay that we have in our culture today? Could it be that that is why marriages are disintegrating? Could it be that that is why violence is at an all-time high? Could it be that that is why we have the brokenness and the sin that we have? Because we have removed the Word of God from so many areas of our lives that we don't fully trust in Him and His Word. Therefore, we have the consequences of that. Two words that I really want you to see before we move on is this. Circle this if you've got something to circle it. Circle the word righteous. Two things that we do not see in our culture today. First is righteousness. That word points to holy fear. Meaning that we love the things that God loves. We hate the things that God hates. The things that are important to God are important to us. The things that are not important to God are not important to us. You really don't see that in our culture today. Righteousness. There's something else that you don't see in our culture today. The next word that I want you to circle or highlight in your mobile device is the word trustworthy. People don't trust anyone today. But notice something. It does not say place your trust in the government. As good as our government is, it has failures. It it does not say place your hope in the president or any single person. Instead, it says place your trust. It says the statutes you. You see the word you? That's in reference to God. You. Can I tell you something? Let me just establish the baseline here for for you today. The Word of God, the Bible is trustworthy. It is the inspired Word of God. It is my belief and this church's belief that it is the inspired, inerrant Word of God. The Bible is the truth. The Bible is the love. The Bible is the help. The Bible is the GPS in a time of confusion. The Bible is your peace in the midst of chaos. The Bible is your encourager. It is your help. It is your every need being met. The Bible, the Word of God. But can I stand on my soapbox for for a moment? Can I do that? Since the Bible was penned thousands of years ago, mankind has tried to punch holes in it, tried to discredit its authority. We've tried to minimize its value. We've removed the Bibles from schools, but yet it is the foundation to our educational principles. We have removed the Bible from the courthouse, yet it is the bedrock of our judicial constitutional system. It's okay and good enough to swear by in court, but it's too offensive to live by in life. Hello? See, the Bible offends some because it is the change agent. It will not leave you the same. It will not leave you in the same manner that it found you. It will infiltrate your life and begin to change you and convict you. And people don't like conviction. In fact, let me take you over to Hebrews chapter 4 because this is where the story really gets good. You see, the people 
that the Hebrew writer was writing to these early Christians, they had taken the word of God and began to water it down. They had become very selective as to what they were going to live by. This sounds good, we're going to live by this, but this sounds bad and it's too much and requires too much of us, so we're not going to live by it. Some things were very, very good to their benefit, but some things seemed to give them a lot of responsibility. They wanted the benefits of God's Word, but they didn't want the responsibility of God's Word. And so they had lost faith and trust in God's word. They didn't have God's word in their lives. And because they didn't, their lives were beginning to fall apart and things were happening. And and so the Hebrew writer, he recognizes that. It kind of sounds like our culture today, doesn't it? And he says this, and I want you to stand for this part of it. Can you do that for me? Just stand to your feet. He says this, therefore, since the promise of entering the rest, his rest still stands. I love that. The promise of God. There is a promise here. It is the promise of his rest. Now hang here with me because this is good. The word rest here is symbolic. The word rest actually means place of refuge, place of hope, place of strength place of destiny in fact one commentator said that the place of rest that he's talking about draws symbolism from heaven now that's pretty deep the place of rest it's a promise however the promise is conditional because look at the part b of verse one it says let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it oh hold on a second so there is a condition to the promise There is an action on our part to receive the rest, if you will. Look at verse 2. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did, but the message that they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now, does that not sound like our culture today? The message is being preached, but it's of no use because we're not combining it with our faith. That word faith is also the word obedience there may say that in your translation skip down with me to verse 11 for the sake of time verse 11 he says this we understand from this verse that the bible is not just some piece of literature he says let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest here's the responsibility so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience in other words if you're not obedient you cannot receive the rest of god's word that place of hope That place of help, that place of prosperity, that that place of rest that he's painting here. Then he says something in verse 12 that is incredible to me. We know that the Bible is literal. But there are also times where God uses poetic language, imagery, to grab your attention, to arrest your heart, to wrap your minds around what he's saying. And that's what verse 12 is. I want you to grab this. Look what he says. It's one of, one of the most quoted verses in the church today. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Woo! That's where it gets a little uncomfortable. We don't want God all up in our thoughts. Some of you right now have some thoughts you ought not to be having. You don't want God all up in that. But look at the first part of that verse again. It says, For the word of God is living and active. You've got to understand what he's saying here. 
It's not dead, it's active. The Bible says in some of your translations, instead of the word active, it says the word powerful. I love that term because the term powerful actually means explosive. It means rearranging. One commentator said this about this verse. He said, we do not study the word of God for intellectual stimulation alone. We study the word of God because that is where God chooses to meet us. Mm, Good Lord, that's good. In other words, God... And the Holy Spirit works through His Word. It is powerful. It is the power of His Word that will heal you. It is the power of His Word that will help you. It is the power of His Word that will heal your marriage. It is the power of His Word that will help you raise your kids. It is the power of His Word that will help you in your financial trauma. It is the power of His Word that will help you secure that job. Come on, it's the power of His Word at work in your life. His word is greater than any doctor, any lawyer, any judge, any scientist. His word and his word alone stands. In fact, I heard a story this past week about General Hugh Shelton after he had fallen and he was lying in a hospital bed at Walter Reed. He was paralyzed and they came and told him, the doctor said, General Shelton, you will never walk again. At that moment, he reaches up and he grabs the doctor by the shoulders and he pulls him close and he looks at his name tag and he says, your name is not God. The point that the Hebrew writer is trying to make, the point that I want you to realize is that we must identify God's word and its power and his word must carry more weight in our lives than anything else. Come on and give the Lord a hand clap of praise for that. Let me pray over you and then I'm going to finish this and we're going to have some fun with it. Bow your heads. Father, we just thank you. God, for an awesome opportunity to be in your house. God, to be your hands extended. Father, I just need you today. Lord, to infuse me with your passion and with your zeal. Let people not see me, but see you in me. God, use me as your mouthpiece. Lord, may lives be changed. May you use your word today as a sharp, two-edged sword that cuts away the things that we do not need. Lord, may we leave this place different than we came in. For it's in your wonderful name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Hey, high five ten people around you and say, Mythbusters. Come on, ten people. now don't get carried away with yourself (laughs) let me say this first let me welcome our internet campus our iCampus we want to thank you for joining us in fact I want everybody in here just to give a hoorah so everybody can come on Woo! yeah if you're joining us somewhere in the world today we want to thank you for being here if God does something great for you just let us know Um, we're going to answer this question can I trust the Bible. Can I trust God's word? We're going to have fun. We're going to answer that question, some other questions, but I want to leave you with some thoughts. The very first thought that I want to give you, if you'll take out your worship guide, is this. We must embrace the power of God in our lives. We must embrace the power of God in our lives. Let let me set this up this way. Several months back, 
I was struggling with a certain issue in my life. I mean, just stressed out about it. I was trying to work through it. I was trying to deal with it. I was praying to God, God, help me with this situation. And it seemed like everything that I did, I pushed and pulled, I pushed and pulled, and I pushed and pulled, and it just didn't seem to get any better. And, and for those of you who are looking at me right now saying, well, pastors are not supposed to have trouble or they're not supposed to have stress. They're supposed to walk with God in the cool of the garden. Let me just go ahead and kind of, you know, end that myth for you. We have stress as well. You try to pastor a church and you'll see exactly what I mean. Um, but I, this situation, I just, you know, just was trying to figure out how to work my way through it. One morning, spending time alone with God and praying, I ran across a, a scripture verse that I have read a hundred times before, but this particular time, it just jumped off the pages at me. I saw some things inside of it that gave me the answer to my situation. Has there ever, that ever happened to you in your life? Come on, you know what that is? That's the power of God's word. Or, or maybe sometimes I'll read one verse of Scripture, and through that one verse, God will enlighten my spirit so much so that I will get a five-week teaching series out of one verse of Scripture. That is the power of God's Word. How does God do that? Can I tell you how He does it? Look with me at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. I'm, we're going to break Hebrews 4, 12 apart. We're just going to dissect it. Look at what it says. It says, for the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It, here it goes. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Listen, God's word knows your heart. God's word knows the attitudes of your heart. It knows your thoughts. Now, I know that's deep, but let me take you to another verse of scripture and kind of show you how this works. Turn with me, or, well, don't turn with me. You'll see it on the screens. Psalms chapter 139, verse 23. You've got to see this. The psalmist, he writes this statement about God's word, and here's what he says. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. How many of you know that's a deep verse? How many of you right now just want God to search you and know your heart? Pretty, pretty scary. Amen for that one. He says, test me and know my anxious thoughts. Here again, he's saying, Know my thoughts. You see, the word of God knows your thoughts. Here we have it in two different places, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, that God knows our thoughts. You see, God created you. And in the process of creating you, he knows who you are. More than knowing who you are, he knows your needs. He knows your thoughts. And many times, generally speaking, God will use his word to meet you in your thoughts when you are concerned about a certain need. He will take his word and place it in your heart so that you will begin to overcome that need. He knows your thoughts. He'll take your thoughts. He'll work in your thoughts, his word. And then pretty soon, that word will begin to overcome that need in your life. Are you with me? Let me explain to you how this works. Many times, people will come up to me at the end of a service and they'll say, Pastor Mark, man, you were all up in my business today. Did you have a camera in my house this week? Because when you said this, this is exactly what we've been dealing with all week. In fact, coming to church this morning, we were dealing with this, and you gave us the answer. That was so awesome. A few minutes later, someone else will walk out, and they'll say, Pastor Mark, you were all up in our business this week. And you said this, and when you said this, it gave me the answer to the very thing that we're struggling with. And what is peculiar is there this. It's totally different from there this. It's two different things. And they'll say, how do you do that? Can, can I tell you how? It's not me at all. It is God's word at work through me, knowing the attitudes and the condition of your heart, and he's speaking to that need. 
You see, he knows where you are. He knows the needs that you have. He knows the situation. So he uses those areas in your life, those thoughts, to work through those areas of need in your life. He uses his word to work in that area. In fact, this kind of brings me to another question. How do I know when God is speaking to me? Can I just go ahead and just be frank with you? The answer is in Hebrews 4.12. Let me show you this. Hebrews 4.12. Back up, I'm going to show you this. This is neat. It says, for the word of God is alive and active. Do you see the word active? Circle that. The word active. If you want to recognize God's word in your life, his word has to be active in your life. You see, you cannot have a weekly visitation. You've got to have a daily inhabitation of God's word in your life if you want his word to work on your behalf. Are you with me? You see, so many people do not recognize the voice of God because they have no active involvement in God's word in their lives. To put it more specifically, many people lack trust in God's word because they have a lack of involvement in his word. You see, let me tell you something. You remember the rest back in, in verse 1 where he promises this rest. You'll have this rest, but make sure you don't fall short. You know how you fall short? When you're not in his word. There is absolutely no way you can go to where God needs you to go. You can have the things that God wants you to have without first being in his word. It's impossible. Let me explain this a little bit further. I'm going to go a little deeper here. Look back at Hebrews 4.12. I want you to circle two other things. Circle the phrase, Word of God, and circle the phrase, double-edged sword. Let me explain this. The Word of God comes from a Greek term, rhema. Rhema means an active word. It means an unmistakable, fresh word. It means um, something that is absolutely clear and vivid. So when it says the word of God, it is an unmistakable word from God. It is a clear word from God. It is vivid in your mind and in your spirit. Let me explain that. In other words, sometimes when you're praying about something and you're just talking to God about it and you're struggling with it and all of a sudden God drops a spirit or a scripture verse into your spirit and all of a sudden that scripture verse begins to come to life in you and you begin to think about that scripture verse more than you're thinking about your situation, that is a rhema word of God. That is a fresh, unmistakable word of God. Now, hold that thought. You see the word double-edged sword? This word is complex. It's probably the most complex word in all of the New Testament. It is the Greek word distomos. Di meaning to. Stomos meaning mouthed. It's a little weird. Hold on a second. Is the Hebrew writer saying that God's word has two mouths? You've heard the old saying, he speaks out of both sides of his mouth. Is, Is that what God's word is saying? Not at all. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. But what I want you to focus on is sword. The rhema word brings about this sword of God in our lives. In other words, we have this fresh, unmistakable word of God, and it brings about the sword, and it begins to cut through our intellect, our fear, our problems, our difficulties. That is the, how the word of God works in your life. Let me explain it to you like this. Maybe you're arguing with your spouse. How many of you have had an argument with your spouse before? Just raise your hand. Let's just be transparent. I'm going to show you why here in a second. If, if you've never had an argument with your spouse, raise your hand. If you're a liar... Oh, wow, okay. Ah, <laughs> good one. Um, okay, so you're arguing with someone, but we'll call it your spouse here. And you are 
in the midst of it, maybe the argument's been going on for a week, a month, a year, and you're just frustrated with it. You're aggravated with it. You're just burned out with it. And you come across 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the love chapter. It's the Barry White chapter. Love. You know what I'm saying? And so when you read it, it starts out by saying love is patient and love is kind. And men, you begin to think, oh boy, she's got to hear this because she ain't patient and she's definitely not kind. You begin to think that word is for her and you're like, "Woo, yeah, God, I'm going to give her this word. This is for her. This is for her. Or maybe you're in church, ladies, and, and, and I'm preaching a message and you're like, whoa, he needs to hear this. And you're like elbowing him a little bit. This is for you, you know, one of those things. Can I tell you something? If you are receiving that nudging from the Holy Spirit, chances are that word is not for someone else. It's for you. Can I tell you something? Before God can do something through you, he's got to do something to you. He's got to begin to change you. Some of my best messages that I've ever preached are when God has just rearranged my insights. And I can begin to speak from the heart at that moment in time. You see, so... You're in the Word, you, you come across 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, love is patient, love is kind, and pretty soon you're like, oh yeah, man, she needs it, oh, she needs it, and the next thing you know, you realize, hold on a second, the Word of God begins to cut away things in your life, that sword. I haven't been so patient, and I haven't been so kind, and pretty soon you realize that you're in the wrong. Case in point. Kim and I, we recently had this argument. I'm going to get really transparent with you, Okay. We had this argument that went to the text level. It's a text war. I love those things, man. They're good. Woo. You're not with me on that. Don't give me an amen. I don't love those things. Let me back up. So we're having this argument. She's texting her feelings. I'm texting my feelings. We're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then the pastor side of me comes out, and I'm like, okay. Baby, the Bible says that you're to respect your husband. Ha, <laughs> That wasn't necessarily her sentiments. Um, so she, she sends me back this biblical thing that says, you know, and the Bible also says that you're to love me as Christ loved the church. So I thought, well, I'm going to one-up her. And I'm gonna, I said, well, the Bible also says that it's better for a man to live in the desert alone than to live with a quarrelsome woman. So she sent me something from the book of Kim that said, I have your bags packed. <laughs> Listen, here, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I'm just going to be real with you. So a few minutes passes, and I begin to look at my text, you know, and I'm reading my text, and I'm like, you know, I'm reading her text. And, and I realize I, I'm wrong. Let me back up. I'm right, but I was wrong how I handled it. We there? I'm going to get myself in trouble again here. Um, anyway, I'm wrong. So I realized, you know what? I haven't been loving her the way Christ loves the church. She's right. I began to see this word, that rhema word, it comes to life in me. Sometimes God gives it to us. Sometimes God uses someone else to give it to us. And I, I'm, it's coming to life in me. And pretty soon I have to apologize because I realize that I'm wrong. See, we've got to embrace the power of God's word. That's how it works. Why is it, here's another question, why is it that people are offended by God's word and why do they want to extinguish it? 
Can I tell you why? Because we love it when God's word is at work on our behalf and it's cutting away the things that are coming against us. But we don't like it when the sword is turned around and cutting us. We don't like it when it convicts us. In fact, people will say stuff like, you know what, I don't, I don't like going there. It seems like Pastor Mark, all he's talking about is giving. Well, that's not all we talk about. In fact, I take up one or two offerings a year. We don't talk about giving that much, about 10% of the time. We talk about a lot of other things, but, but not giving. Can, can I tell you something? Here's the deal. If you're offended by that, it could be that you're being convicted by that because you're not giving. That's just how the Word of God works. Or, or, or maybe you're like, man, I don't want to go there because all he talks about is how to overcome sin. Well, I mean, I don't know what's wrong with that, <laughs> but that's what we all need. But that's not all we talk about. We talk about a lot of other things, but it could be that maybe you're offended by that because there is this secret sin that only you know about, and every time you hear about how to overcome sin, you're convicted by it, so you want to shut God's word and walk away from it. Church attendance goes down because I don't want to go to God's house because i got all this stuff going on. In fact, I talk to people all the time, it's like, I can't come to church right now because my life's messed up. You know, That's when you do come to church. That's when you draw closer to God. See, so many people... You know, that's their, their viewpoint, their convictions. Listen, let me tell you this. The reason why people are offended by God's word and they want to extinguish it is because they're not willing to line their lives up with the righteous. Christianity, or the name Christian, has been extinguished. He later died. A few years later, Constantine became the Roman emperor. He looked at the cross and saw a vision. The vision scared him so much so and worked in his life and his heart so much that he gave his heart to Christ. Then he named Christianity the religion of Rome. But then he went to all kinds of people saying, listen, I've got to have God's word. So he brought his staff in and said, "I, I just need to find a Bible. Within minutes, did you know that over 50 Bibles were presented to him? Within minutes. Yet Diocletian had extinguished the word of God. Here's what's cool. Do you know where they found those Bibles? In Diocletian's own palace. The Word of God is indestructible. The Word of God is, is, was, and will always be. The Word of God is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It will cut away the things that come against it. It will cut away the shenanigans of man. It will cut away the shenanigans of the enemy. It will cut through all of the junk of this world. Why? Because it is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it is active, and it is alive. In fact, I've got to show you something else. This is really cool. Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. Matthew 5.18 says something. This is Jesus. This is his words. This is what he says about the word of God. This is what he says about the very thing that is coming out of his mouth. He says this. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. It's indestructible. He's telling you that it will not disappear. You see, man may say we're taking the Bibles out of the school, but then God comes along and has this guy by the name of Steve Jobs to to invent this iPhone. And on the iPhone it has this app, and you can buy the Bible on your iPhone. And therefore, it is one of the leading apps. Believe it or not, it has more more iPhones have the uh, Bible app on it than any other app, according to a Barna research poll. It has all of those Bible apps on it, and then all of these kids are taking that Bible to school, and so are the teachers some of which are reading the Bible at school, but yet man says the Bible cannot be in school. Listen, God's word is indestructible. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. 
And then the more I began to think about that concept, here's what blew me away. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. That sword that cuts through the shenanigans of man or the enemy that comes at God's Word also works on your behalf. Think about this. Man may pronounce a word over you like, you know what, that vision that you have is way too big. But then all of a sudden, the sword of God comes out and it begins to cut away. And you remember all of a sudden that, oh, if my God is for me, then tell me who can be against me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And you begin to remember that, you know, nothing is impossible with God. Why? Because that rhema word is beginning to grow in you. Maybe someone comes along and says, you know what, you're a failure, you will always be a failure. You know what, and then all of a sudden that word of God comes out, you know, and that sword begins to swing on your behalf and you remember, oh, I've been forgiven, God's given me a second chance, hello. Then someone comes to you and says, you know what, your marriage is a lost cause, but the rhema word of God begins to grow in you, the sword comes out, he cuts away that word and he replaces it with, I am the God of restoration. Here's my point, if you're not grabbing this, this excites me, is that when the weight of the world pushes against you, the weight of God's word pushes back. If that doesn't excite you, I don't know what will. You ought to be giving the Lord a hand clap of praise for that. But here lies the problem. In order for the word of God to push back on your behalf, the word of God has to be in you. That is where the Hebrew writer was going. They all wanted this rest. They all wanted the benefits package of God, but yet they weren't willing to live up to the responsibility of it. They were picking and choosing. You see, it's one thing to believe. It's another thing to follow. He was saying you can't go to that area. The Word of God cannot come out of you unless the Word of God is in you. The power of God's work that can restore your marriage and your finances and give to you hope and help and all of the things that you so desperately need that comes out of God's word. It cannot work on your behalf unless it's in you. Unless you're living it. So what do we do with the word of God? Here's where it gets really cool. You remember... I told you in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, look back there with me. It says that his word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Distomos, two sides of the mouth, two-mouthed sword. I did some research on that. That word is so deep in the Greek that it actually means this, that the swords, one edge of the sword was fashioned and sharpened at the moment that the word of God came out of his mouth. That's one mouth. The second edge of the sword is sharpened when it comes out of the second mouth. Do you know who the second mouth is? You. Two-mouthed sword. You see, the Word of God is powerful in and of itself, absolutely, but it becomes deadly powerful when you begin to speak it. Boy, that's some good stuff right there. Man, you want some cutting power in the difficulties that you are facing? Have God's Word in your heart, in your life, in your mind, in your spirit, and watch it go to work on your behalf. 
In fact, I need some help here. Steve. Stephen, you are representing God's word. You are God. You're not God, but for this illustration, you are God. I did some research this week. I just wanted to find out, you know, I just Googled attributes of God's word. There are thousands. Names of God. There are dozens. What is it that is so important in God's word that needs to be in us so that we can use the sword of the word of God in the way, in the manner that we need to. You see, the problem is we don't have the word of God in us and there's so many attributes from the word of God that will benefit us. And so I began to make a list of things and I just want to share with you a few. Is that okay? One of the things with the word of God God's word, the power of his word, is that it is omnipotent. The omnipotence of God's word, it is all powerful is what that word means. It means that it is so powerful that when we know it and when we speak it, there are things that take shape and happen in our lives because of the word of God being in our lives. It is all powerful. It should be in you. There's another characteristic of God's word, it's love. God is love. Some of you need to get into the Word of God so that you'll understand how to love that unlovable person that is driving you crazy. You're praying about it, but yet the love of God is not in you. Sometimes you've got to do more than pray. You've got to get into His Word and find out how to live. Hello? Then there is another attribute, hope. His Word gives us hope in the midst of hopelessness. His Word, right in the midst of your biggest ugliest battle gives you hope knowing that I can I can have the hope of God's word in my life and though my situation may look bleak I have hope that he is at work on my behalf and the power of his word gives you that hope then there is provision we all love the term provision so many times we equate provision to monetary gain but that's not what this means God is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He provides for us help and He provides for us prosperity and He provides for us encouragement. He provides for us, He meets our needs. He gives us the sanctity of tranquility. He gives to us joy. He gives to us all of these things. All of those things are provided from God in His Word. The provision of His Word. Next is wisdom. The wisdom of God. Some of you are trying to make decisions without God's wisdom. Don't do it. Get into the Word of God and find out what His Word says about the situation that you're in. Next is peace. Peace that surpasses all understanding. You're in the midst of chaos, but yet somehow you can have a peace that is greater than your problem. I can't fully explain that. I'm just telling you that's the power of God's Word. Then there is this beautiful quality called forgiveness. How many of you are thankful for the forgiveness of God in your life? Come on and give him a hand clap.
Well, can I say this? If you're thankful for the forgiveness of God in your life, then why don't you live forgiveness? If God's forgiveness is good enough for you, then it's good enough for others. His word gives you the power to forgive. His word gives us guidance. It helps us, guide us. The Bible says that he will direct the very steps, that he will make your path straight when we lean upon not our own understanding, but on his. And we trust him and acknowledge him in all of our ways. He'll make our path straight. That's guidance. I need God's guidance. I don't want to lead this church without God guiding me every single step of the way. Then there's healing. There's healing in God's word. Did you know that? Did you know that? The power of God can give you healing. The power of God's word can give healing in your life. Then there's also refuge. The Bible says that his name is a mighty strong tower where the righteous run to hide from the storms and the difficulty of life. He's a God of refuge. And then I love this one. He is I am. He's not I am not. He's I am. When Moses said, who will I say sent me? He said, you tell him I am sent you. I am. I am everything you need. I am your hope. I am your help. I am your strength. I am your miracle. I am your prosperity. I am. That's the word of God. I am. Somebody rise to your feet. Come on and praise him. Come on, get up on your feet right now. Praise the Lord. In his word, it says that he is all-knowing. He knows everything. He knows your thoughts. He knows your need. It also says that he is an encourager. It also says that God is the God of restoration. He will restore things in your life that you haven't been able to restore. It also says this, that he and his word is trustworthy. You can trust him with your questions with your needs, with your emotions, with your feelings. But most of all, last but not least, His Word is rest. Some of you today, you need that rest. If you're thankful for the Word of God in all that His Word and the power of His Word possesses on your behalf, and you are so thankful and grateful today that you've come to the conclusion and the understanding that when the word of God is in you the word of God comes out of you and it's sharper than any two-edged sword and if you're thankful for that today I want you to put your hands together and bless his holy name for joining us on our internet campus today. We'd love to hear how this message blessed you. You can send an email to admin at yourepicenter.com. You also have the ability to donate to this ministry if you go to www.yourepicenter.com. Again, thank you for joining us and have a wonderful day.